the economy has been growing steadily for over a century, creating prosperity and security. But everything has its limits. We need chips, we need energy, we need food, but we're going to need it for centuries and centuries and millennia, and for as long as humans are around. And all of these things need water. The days when we had abundant water supplies are gone, too. In many regions of the world, water has run out. No water at all, not a drop. The economy versus humanity versus nature. We have a right to clean water. Globally, 70% of water goes to irrigation. Look, you need water to make food. Agriculture uses a hell of a lot of water. Water will be the new gold. They are not matching the reality of the disappearing water with their desire for economic growth. We've always known water to be plentiful. But that's changing because of the climate crisis. With water becoming scarce, this series asks, what happens if we have no more water? For years, the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research has been warning about the effect of the climate crisis on the water supply. My phone falls when I let it go. I don't need to do an experiment. I already know what will happen. It's simple because we understand physics. If we increase CO2 in the atmosphere, then we will warm the planet. And a warmer planet means more water vapor, more drought, more periods of intense precipitation. We don't have to do an experiment to know water availability is decreasing. As it gets even warmer, we will need even more water for agriculture, to drink, and for industry. We can see this very clearly with Tesla, which needs a relatively large amount of water locally. And of course, this has to be balanced with nature, because what we do now will have a lasting effect. For its gigafactory in Brandenburg, outside of Berlin, Tesla wants access to especially valuable groundwater reserves. Critics say that Tesla is stealing water from the region here. <laughs> this region has so much water. <laughs> Look around you. But the local water supply <laughs> says there's no more water for further development stages. No, this is completely wrong. It's like water everywhere here. Does this seem like a desert to you? That's <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> Tesla's application hasn't yet been approved. But it's just one example of many. German industry now seems to be waking up to the increasing scarcity of water, too. The dry years in 2018, 2019, 2020 also showed companies how important water is. And now there is a big rush for permits. And we must really be aware of the true water supply now so that we don't sell it off. 
Water is a sought-after commodity. And the chairman of the Federal Working Group on Water, Professor Martin Grambo, wants authorities to use restraint when allocating water rights. We have a lot of big offers. With the global water shortage, the biggest water companies in the world are knocking on our door. Big names that everyone knows. They all want to get water from us because the quality is simply excellent. Coca-Cola is planning a controversial project to extract water in Lüneburg. Germany's largest beverage company has been bottling its VO brand water in the northern German town for years. We already have approval to draw 350,000 cubic meters from the aquifer, which is the same amount we put in the application for a third well to double the amount of water we're taking. Coca-Cola's quest for water leads to Rettenstedt, just outside Lüneburg. The company is drilling a well 190 meters deep into the earth here, putting the mayor in a dilemma. Die Frage ist halt nur, wie verkaufen wir auch oder was heißt verkaufen? Wie wie vermitteln wir das ähm, den Bürgerinnen und Bürgern? The question is simply, how do we sell it? Or rather, how do we communicate to citizens that the groundwater that is actually there to ensure their supply of public drinking water is partially being given to the beverage industry? And then we have to tell citizens what they get in return. Resistance is stirring in the region of Lüneburg. More and more people are protesting against Coca-Cola. More than 1,000 people recently took part in a demonstration organized by Our Water Lüneburg. The initiative fears their water is being sold off. Dear Lüneburgers, my name is Marianne Temmersfeld and I am also a member of Our Water Lüneburg. I want to stop this well. I want to prevent Coca-Cola from taking any more. And they will say, okay, then we can't produce any more VO. Dr. Mariana Temesfeld has been involved in the Citizens' Initiative since the beginning of 2020. Local politician Jens Buta issues water extraction permits, even Coca-Cola's. His decision will last for decades. The groundwater authorities in Lüneburg first determine whether extraction is possible, and then we make a decision. That can also mean that we have to make a decision that the town doesn't like. Water rights are up to local administrators. But the state of Lower Saxony, where Lüneburg is located, is also dealing with this issue. Lower Saxony is quite diverse. We have regions where there is a lot of water, but in a big area like Lower Saxony, there are also regions like the northeast of our state that have less groundwater. Since there is so little rain, there is more demand, for example, because farmers have to irrigate their land. The effects of the warm, dry years can no longer be downplayed. The consequences can be seen everywhere, and it's especially severe in the region around Lüneburg. This pond is usually much fuller. Sadly, the water level is very low. Basically, we're worried about the legacy we're leaving to the next generations, the generations that follow. Water is the foundation for all life. In the future, Germany will have to learn to get by with less water. For other parts of our planet, that day has already come, or worse.
It's actually really sad because in many parts of the world, Coca-Cola does succeed and then people can only buy water in the supermarket at high prices, in Mexico, for example. San Cristobal in southern Mexico has a large Coca-Cola plant. Well protected behind high fences and barbed wire, Mexican health authorities say more of the beverage is consumed here than anywhere else in Mexico. Two liters per person per day on average. As long as Coca-Cola has enough water, business is good. For the people of San Cristobal, however, life is very different. They are left high and dry. Look, here is the faucet, and there is no water at all. Not a drop. Absolutely no water. It's like this every day. The whole city, everywhere in the city, people are complaining in every neighborhood because they have no water. Eustacio Juan Hernández Vázquez also has no water. Vázquez is a gardener. Without water, he has no work. We have no water and won't have any until Monday. Then we will have water from the tap again. Till then we have to make do with the water for food. It's unbelievable. And on top of that, the dry season is just beginning. Take care of water today, because it is important for tomorrow, this sign tells us. Coca-Cola takes water out 24 hours a day for soft drinks and water that they then sell in bottles everywhere to other cities, countries and states. They have water. And why? Because they slurp it all up and the people of San Cristobal don't have access to their own water. They have to buy water in plastic bottles. Ciel, the name of the brand, translates as sky, but it's a product of Coca-Cola bottled from the ground. The water authority here is called Conagua. It issues permits and Coca-Cola has a license for many years because we had a president who used to work for Coca-Cola, Vicente Fox. He made sure they got all the licenses. Exclusive rights to the high-quality water of a once water-rich region no doubt an extremely lucrative business. Coca-Cola pumps more than 1.2 million liters of water every day. They have three wells from which they produce all their products. They distribute and sell the water from San Cristobal, while the surrounding neighborhoods don't have enough water. How quickly is the water supply changing in the region? How long will the reserves last? NASA's GRACE mission can provide information about developments in San Cristobal. The region has been losing water since 2011, 60% faster than the rest of Central America on average. The data cannot determine Coca-Cola's role in the disappearance or if it has one. We asked Coca-Cola for a comment, and the company said it's aware of the water problem. Which is why it helps local residents install water tanks, as well as rainwater and other collection devices. The people 
who have hardly any water left, want change. We want the Coca-Cola company out of here, to leave. People are rebelling against the powerful industry's huge thirst for water. It's David versus Goliath. Yes, that is what we want. But you know what it's like to fight a monster. The monster is huge. It's a war for water, because there will be no more water. Southern Mexico was once the country's most water-rich region and will eventually lose its water reserves. Just a few hours' flight to the north lies Phoenix. This city of over a million people in the southwest U.S. is as dry as dust. A rapidly growing metropolis in the middle of the desert. The economy is booming, and microchip manufacturer Intel is building a gigantic plant here. It is the largest private sector investment in Arizona's history. $20 billion. Really unbelievable. I mean, when we drive around here and we just see the scope of this place, it just stretches and stretches and stretches. And it's hard to see where one plant ends and the other plant begins. And this water facility is about the size of a facility that you'd see for a small city. Microchip production requires a huge amount of ultra-pure water. But Intel has been expanding in Phoenix for more than 25 years anyway. Why invest in the middle of the desert? We are here in the middle of the desert. It is warm. There's, there's no question about it. So uh, why build in the desert? We take many factors into consideration when we decide where to build. Uh, favorable business environment is certainly one of those. Uh, a strong workforce, educated workforce is another. But thinking ahead about um, infrastructure, including utilities, water, is very critical to us as well. And when we evaluated Arizona 25-plus years ago, we saw that the state had done that and was looking ahead and preparing for that drought in the future. Every drop counts. That's why Intel is investing in this state-of-the-art water treatment plant to further purify the water the city supplies. 25-plus years ago, uh, what we decided to do was to fund the building of a facility that I believe you'll see later called the OBRF. In fact, it's, it's here over my shoulder. You can see it in the background. And what that facility does, that partnership with the city, is it allows us to send some of our water from Intel to the city where that water is cleaned to reuse standards. And then it can be reused for irrigation, uh, other applications, parks, golf courses, et cetera, in the city. Uh, and it can also be cleaned and put back into the aquifer, which the city has done for many years uh, over the past couple of decades as well. This water treatment plant is located next to the company's waterworks. Intel financed it together with the city to recycle some of the wastewater from production. Being that we are in Arizona, we are in the middle of a drought. We have been for many years. There's just not a whole abundance of water to get. So water conservation is really important for the state of Arizona, for Intel. It's uh, plants like this are going to be needed in the future to, to basically squeeze every last drop out of that water. A Herculean task. But will it be enough? It's not looking good. We just need to get more rain. We need to fill those reservoirs up right, to, to ensure that we have water in the future. Why is the industry investing in one of the driest places in the world? 
Scientist and journalist Abram Lustgarten is also curious. Why are corporations moving to regions that have hardly any water? In the United States especially, there are still these weird perverse incentives that do keep the flow of population going in the wrong direction in a way. You know, the city of Phoenix is the fastest growing city in the United States. We, we've made water cheap in the Southwest. If you own a house in the city of Phoenix, you don't pay very much for your water. You even pay less than somebody in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania pays for their water, despite the fact that your water in Arizona is incredibly scarce. But those price signals, that's the market at work. And so the market in that situation is telling people in an incredibly water scarce region that they can afford all the water they want and that it's really not that valuable. Does Intel know about the lack of water? How are its people dealing with the climate crisis? We are in the middle of the, the worst drought that we've seen here in the Southwest in, in any of our lifetimes. How do I see it personally? I, I recently uh, did some landscaping in my backyard. The grass came out, the artificial turf came in. So I think we're all learning how to adapt to this new world and, and say, okay, if there is going to be less water available, you, you know, not only what can, what can we do as a company, what can I do personally um, to make that a little better? This region is running out of water, and it's running out of water very fast. And so there is that information is not making its way through to the city planners, Right, to the elected officials, to the, you know, to the governor. They are not matching the reality of the disappearing water with their desire for economic growth. Right? Those things are, they are, they're at odds right now, and that is the definition of unsustainable. Rural areas in the western U.S. provide more insight on the water crisis. We've seen all the struggles that uh, people face uh, in the cities to conserve water, uh, going through some real Herculean efforts to, to use water efficiently. And then we come out here and we see this greening of the desert. A strange sight, a kind of mirage in the desert. Once completely parched ground turned into vibrant green fields. As far as the eye can see, kilometer after kilometer, desert artificially irrigated. Welcome to the Imperial Irrigation District, one of the largest agricultural regions in North America. And Coca-Cola is here too. The Imperial Irrigation District, known as IID, holds the largest and oldest water rights on the West Coast. Hey, good morning. How you doing? Good, Robert. Welcome to IID. Robert Shetler of the IID wants to show Jay Familietti his agricultural association's fields. Many of the water rights from the Colorado River belong to the IID Agricultural Association. The IID knows the value of its water. Without water, everything here would disappear. IID's main concern is the protection of its water rights. And uh, these have been argued over the years, but uh, uh, we, we still have these uh, um, water rights that, uh, for, for this water, for mainly for agricultural purposes. Yes, there are municipalities and industry, 
But it's really important that we keep that because we are providing food and fiber for the nation. Without water, there is no agriculture. But how effectively is agriculture using the precious resource? And what is it being used for? To grow feed crops, for example. This here is alfalfa uh, hay, which is uh, used uh, for cattle. And uh, what we're coming up on is uh, a couple fields of alfalfa. And uh, what we see here is a sprinkler irrigation system. The Imperial Irrigation District is right at the end of the Colorado River, but it is first in line for the water rights. It has the senior water rights. So it has access to a tremendous amount of water to grow alfalfa in the middle of the desert. This is, to me, a gross misuse of this of this great right that they have, this great unfettered access to a tremendous amount of water and about 75% of the alfalfa that is grown in the Imperial Irrigation District is exported to China. So that is like taking Colorado River water and shipping it to China. Is the agriculture industry even aware of the situation? The enormous agricultural sector is keenly aware of how scarce it is because they fight to the death for it and they lobby for it, uh, you know, in state houses and in Washington and, um, you know, and they they argue, um, you know, vociferously for what they need. So they're keenly aware, um, but perhaps less uh, willing to sacrifice their share of, of that water. Distribution battles over water are inevitable. About three quarters of the allocation of California's Colorado River water comes to the IID. Right. So when when other arid regions like San Diego and Coachella Valley and LA are booming with people yeah. and need more water, they, they yeah. come looking they're, for us. They're looking at you. This has been an ongoing battle for, for a long time and uh, it probably will continue, but we're going to hold our ground because we believe in what we do. The Imperial Irrigation District fields use about 3.7 trillion gallons to water crops each year. An unimaginably large amount that is now lacking elsewhere on the country's west coast. San Francisco is the gateway to Silicon Valley, which is home to the world's largest tech companies and a center for innovation and progress. The water is even running out here in the country's richest city. Anderson Reservoir is the region's most important and is nearly empty at only 3% of its capacity. A serious threat, say managers from Valley Water. We've always had to import water, okay? The price of water on the exchange where it's kind of traded is five times what it was two years ago. There's a limit to what people can pay, number one. But we also can't get it here, even if we can buy it. The problem we're having is there's no water to import anymore. The water crisis has unleashed a modern gold rush. Businessmen like real estate magnate John Vidovich are investing in water. And American water law suits them just fine. Whoever owns the land also owns the water rights. How much land do you own? Is there like a number to it? Um, how... It's somewhere between 100 and 200,000 acres of, of agricultural and grazing land. 
somewhere. So do you have an idea of how much water you actually own? Nobody, I don't think anyone owns the water. You have a right to use it. Nobody owns it. You own it when you put it in a glass. Then you own it. You drink it, you pee it out, okay? Speculating with water has made Vidovich unpopular. Anybody that is of size, you know, it's sometimes it, it, it causes people to, to not like that. Most of his land holdings are here in the Central Valley. Long-established farmers like Canon Michael don't like to have financial investors like Vidovich in the region. Our farm is not something to me that's just a number on a spreadsheet, you know, in, of 50 different investments that we have. It's something that we care passionately about, that we care about. Michael's family has been here for three generations, and they own the Bowles Farm. Michael's great-great-grandfather, a penniless immigrant from Baden-Württemberg in Germany, built an empire here. My third great-grandfather was a man named, uh, well, Heinrich Kreiser. He was born in Brockenheim, Germany, um, but he came to the United States and uh, ended up changing his name to Henry Miller. But uh, he got to the San Francisco area in the 1850s and uh, partnered with another young German immigrant, and they uh, established a, a butcher business, first as competitors, and then they uh, worked together. And they got here in the time when California was growing very rapidly, uh, and it needed food and reliable sources of, uh, of meat. They ended up uh, being able to purchase over a million acres of land uh, in California and then all the way up into uh, Oregon and into Washington. And so for a period of time, Henry Miller was the largest landowner in the United States. Henry Miller realized early on that water would be the key to the success of his business. He took his water rights all the way to federal court and won. To this day, the laws he fought for apply to everyone in California. We uh, still have access in our area to, uh, to a good amount of water, really based on the decisions and the foresight of, of, that, of Henry Miller, my ancestor. Only those who have land have a right to water, which is what is luring the financial speculators. They're betting water will become more expensive as it becomes scarcer. Would Ken and Michael sell if the price was right? We're not ready to sell our land or sell our water and, and do something else. We think we're doing a valuable service for you know humanity. Investor John Vidovich says the criticism of him and his business model are a double standard. You need water to make food. Agriculture uses a hell of a lot of water. Everybody in the U.S., I think, except for vegetarians, they eat a hamburger. Meat takes more water than almonds do. And an almond takes a gallon to make one, one almond. And meat makes more. 70% of water around the world goes to agriculture. We feed more than half of our grain to animals. No food requires as much water as meat. What if this agriculture and cattle region runs out of water? That's what happened in Saskatoon, Canada. Just how quickly the water would disappear here was also underestimated. We need, as human beings, water, a good water supply. Cattle are no different. And they, have a, they need a large volume of water because they have a very big stomach on them. People lack water, animals lack water. Farmers have so little water, they can't even grow enough feed. 
The water shortage has brought farmers to the edge of existence in a place that was once one of the most water-rich regions in the world. It's been very devastating and the tough decision is they don't have the feed to overwinter their cattle so they're going to have to put them through the sale system and so we're seeing anywhere from 10, 20, maybe 30 percent in some areas in reduction of the herd. And that's devastating. Why? Because it's taken generations to build that number of cattle up on that farm or their ranch. And so they're going from, it could be 400 cattle on that, on that farm, and they're having to sell it down to 200 head or maybe 100 cows. And so it takes years to build those herds up. Psychological pressure is affecting the cattle farmers as much as economic hardships. Is suicide an issue here? Oh, it is. We have uh, our government stepping in with support programs, okay? And so those are only uh, one-year programs. They're going to hopefully help you stick handle through this drought situation mm -hmm. in 2021, 2022. Ad hoc yeah. programs. Yeah. And we're always, we're always very hopeful in the egg industry, so we're always looking at next year. At the Global Institute for Water Security at the state-run University of Saskatchewan, Jay Familietti analyzes satellite data. India was one of the first places where we did in-depth analysis. Why? Because we could see this tremendous hotspot from space. We did some research and we figured out that it was the depletion of groundwater that was driving this tremendous water loss. Northern India lives from the water that comes from the rivers of the Himalayas. But the climate crisis is changing the water supply at an unimaginable speed. Even if it doesn't look like it at first glance, water lost here is almost the highest in the world. Because the soil in the region is particularly fertile, Punjab's agriculture can still feed up to one billion people. But the decline in water availability is now threatening the entire subcontinent. Our ancestors all farmed. For our grandparents, the groundwater was right underground. When we started, it had already fallen three meters. The groundwater has now dropped to 20 or 25 meters. The more the groundwater sinks, the more people's existences are threatened. People here have nothing but agriculture. We used to have natural sources like rivers and canals. Now we have to get groundwater from deep underground. The farmers here are in despair over the water shortage and the loss to their livelihood. Thanks to my father's upbringing, I'm a respectable person. But he used pesticides to commit suicide. On January 25th, 2022, Swaran Singh took his own life. This came as a complete surprise to his wife and their younger son. No warning. He never mentioned his problems to his family. 
A large part of the harvest failed, and we had even higher costs. My father had to take out a loan because we hadn't earned any money. Rising temperatures and the falling water supply are leading to smaller harvests. More and more farmers in Rupnagar in the state of Punjab are falling into debt with loans they can't pay back. Swaran Singh's suicide is not an isolated case. He was really stressed about the loan. The bank kept calling. He was getting more and more depressed. The pressure became too great. He knew no other way out. We were going to get the money for him. We had no idea he was going to take his own life the next day. The city is grieving with the family, but not the bank. The very day after our father died, the bank called. They've called us every day since and demanded that we pay back the debt as soon as possible. Otherwise, they're threatening to seize the farm. And I didn't know about his debts until his suicide. The family will need many years to pay off the loan, if they manage to at all. The climate crisis will continue to dry up the fields, and the next generation will have an even harder time. All the responsibility is on me now. My whole family has huge problems. It's taking a toll on me. I can't even find peace in my house. I go to my field, alone, crying. I don't know what to do. Nowhere in the world do more farmers kill themselves than in the Indian state of Punjab. Their survival depends on water. Punjab is an agricultural region. If there is no agriculture, there is no economy. We will have no industry. We use very little water to farm the flourishing green fields here. But the future scares us, especially in the region near the border. On the border with Pakistan, the water shortage could also become a political threat. The concern is that old conflicts will flare up again. Punjab borders directly on hostile Pakistan. Until 1960, bloody wars were fought here over water from the Himalayan rivers. Since then, the Indus Water Treaty has brought relative peace. It divides the water among the neighbors. Will the climate crisis reignite the war over water? There could be a war between India and Pakistan. The former general of the Indian Air Force confirms the concerns of the people in Punjab. He thinks such a war is quite likely. India has 16% of the world's population, and it has got only 3% of its water resources. Currently, the governments of both countries accuse each other of diverting the river's water for their benefit. Tensions are increasing. Pakistan is saying that because India wants to use waters, 20% of its allocation of the western rivers, and is stopping complete flow of water from the eastern rivers, they're saying that India is interfering with the crop growth in Pakistan 
and it is causing a huge amount of joblessness. वहाँ भूखमरी फैल रही है because because of India and terrorist acts and actions are increasing. The political saber rattling is in turn fueling farmers' anger on the border. They no longer want to share water with their hated neighbors. Every day, the problem with water is getting worse, and most of it flows to Pakistan anyway. If the situation gets worse, we are ready to fight for our water. Singh is also ready to go to war for water. I wonder what's going to happen to this region. There's one and a half, two billion people that live in this region. What is going to happen to these people when the snowpack on the Himalayas disappears? When the glaciers melt and the big rivers are no longer being fueled and the aquifers are no longer being replenished? I wonder about conflict. I wonder about climate refugees. Right? I wonder about livelihoods. I wonder about political stability. These are all on the table. NASA data has provided early warnings about water availability in hotspots around the world. What about the situation in Germany? And so we're seeing a fair amount of water loss, and one of the regions that's really impacted quite significantly is the Lüneburg region. The trend for the Lüneburg region is clear. The water supply has deteriorated significantly over the last 20 years. And now Coca-Cola, Germany's largest beverage producer, wants to drill a third well and double its capacity. The Citizens Initiative is protesting, and politician Jens Buta is weighing the company's application. He doesn't yet know the results of the NASA mission. Would you have to step in if this situation gets worse? Yes, of course. That's the way it is. If we reach that conclusion, our mandate is to protect the groundwater. And if we find that the long-term supply is at risk, then we would have to do something. For example, using water sparingly and sustainably, or reusing water for irrigation, or find a technological solution, or I could limit the use of anyone using the water commercially, for instance. Will new NASA data influence his future decisions about water rights permits? We provided him a copy of the analysis. Yes, I think that when we talk about timeframes, about perspectives, then we have to take advantage of the latest technological possibilities. If something like that's available, then it has to be included, and it could lead to a reinterpretation or a reorientation. Dr. Mariana Temesfeld is frustrated that global warming is progressing faster than politicians, legislators, and society are responding. It's vital to push them and put their feet to the fire. The demonstrators have been taking to the streets again and again for the past two years. While Coca-Cola's application was still pending, the company made a surprising announcement. It would put the project for a third well on hold for the time being. The demand for VO water had disappointed. The well remains protected with a casing, but has not been dismantled. 
Dr. Temesfeld doesn't trust the company. No, that means we now have to be vigilant. We can only celebrate when the well no longer exists, when it cannot be reactivated. Only then will we be rid of this third well in Lüneburg. We aren't yet breaking out the champagne. The third well doesn't appear to be completely off the table. When will the well be demolished? The decision to drill a third well was a general decision that we considered very carefully. If, over the next years, the trend in the mineral water market reverses, it may be an option again. But for now, it's definitely unlikely. It is unknown whether the company is planning to extract water elsewhere or whether any applications are being prepared nor whether Coca-Cola is taking global warming into account. Tesla's application in Brandenburg is still being considered. Here, too, the data from NASA satellites show how bad things are for our water. But what did Elon Musk say when he visited the site southeast of Berlin? It's like water everywhere here. Does this seem like a desert to you? <laughs> That's ridiculous. Musk should be more acutely aware of the dangers of water scarcity than anyone. Millions of people in his home state on the west coast of the U.S., where his company is headquartered, are already feeling the threat. What we consider to be all right, that doesn't exist anymore. That's, that's gone. Is life going to go on as usual? No way. Right? So no, everything is not going to be all right. And the only way, our only choice is to adapt to the water that we have available, to the amount of water that we have available. And that's going to take a lot of work. And so that's the not all right part. And if we don't adapt, you know, then it's like the apocalypse.